Wow. Well, what an honor to be here. And firstly, on behalf of all the team at City Church Cardiff, my wife Catherine as well, and also on behalf of the Elam National Leadership Team, we want to send our love and our greetings to you. It is so good to be back at Kensington Temple. You know, this place has so many special memories for me. In fact, it was, I think, on this spot that I was dedicated as a baby. I was just thinking it was in that spot that as a five-year-old child, I said yes to Jesus. It was on this spot that I was baptized as a teenager. (laughs) And it was around there that every Sunday afternoon at 2.30, I used to take my afternoon nap because my mum used to bring me to five services on a Sunday. (laughs) Also, a funny story, a true story, in the evening service, the platform was very different back then, but uh, us kids, we used to hide underneath the platform, and so we used to be there throughout the whole message. I think that's how the Word of God started to seep into us. (laughs) But many special and fun memories here, and I want to thank Pastor Mark and Kathy for the privilege of being able to come back and to bring the Word of God to you today. You know, being here, it's quite emotional and remembering So many of the amazing things that the Lord has done. And I could tell you many stories from the past of God's faithfulness, of God's supernatural activity in this house, in this building. I have personally seen healings and miracles and lives being changed. I have seen multitudes of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But today, as a son of the house, would you allow me to bring a word about your future? Because I'm excited about your future. God has put something within my heart that has been brewing for a long time, which I want to release this morning. I pray that this will be a word that will inspire this generation of KT people to rise up and to possess the promises of God, to enter into the prophetic words that have been spoken over this house that are yet to be fulfilled. And I believe that they were spoken for such a time as this. If you believe that, would you say amen? Amen. My message this morning is entitled, Crossing Over. Turn to somebody and say, Crossing Over. Now, in a few minutes, I'm going to be teaching from Joshua chapter 3 in the Old Testament. It's the story of the people of Israel. They're on the edge of the Jordan and they cross over into the land of promise. They enter in to what God has said is possible for them. And quite simply, I believe that Katie right now is at its own Jordan moment. And the question is, how will you respond to the moment? And what decision will you make? Now, I am energized by the fact that in 2023, we will be marking the 10 years from the 2000th anniversary of when Jesus gave the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. There will be 10 years to go. And Elam, the movement of which churches like City Church in Cardiff and Kensington Temple, here in London, Elam, the movement that we are a part of, we are partnering with denominations and networks all over the world to use these next 10 years up to 2033 to complete the unfinished task of reaching unreached people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so these next 10 years are going to be significant. And I wonder, what will these next 10 years look like for Kensington Temple? 
I believe that the Lord is laying some amazing possibilities before you. But, and everyone say buts, because it's a big but. Some amazing possibilities. But it requires your cooperation. And so as we think about the future, I'd like to suggest to you that KT is at a transition point, a pivot point. Now a transition is an entrance point into something new. And during times of transition, there is something old to leave behind and there is something new to embrace. I said we'll be reading from Joshua 3 in a moment about how the people of Israel miraculously crossed the Jordan River. And people often compare the parting of the Jordan to the parting of the Red Sea, which you can read about in Exodus chapter 14. Now, there are many similarities because both bodies of water supernaturally stacked up for the people to cross. But there's a crucial difference too. Because with the Red Sea, the people, they saw the water separating and then they crossed. But with the Jordan, the priests had to physically step into the water first before the water heaped up. More on that in a moment. But had the people in Joshua 3 been expecting it to be exactly like it was at the Red Sea, then they would have completely missed what God was wanting to do and how God was wanting to move in their own day. You know, sometimes people are so focused on what God has done in their yesterdays that they can miss what God is wanting to do in their todays. But though there will be similarities, just as there was between the Red Sea and the Jordan, I'd like to suggest to you so that you can better embrace the future that the Lord is putting before you that tomorrow for Katie will not look exactly like yesterday. And in this regard, I recall the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 43 verses 18 to 19 where the prophet says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. You know, I used to think that the thing that God was telling the people to forget in these verses was that awful time of the Babylonian captivity, the pain, the suffering, the punishment, the disgrace that they experienced. But then one day as I was reading through Isaiah 43, and I looked at the immediately preceding verses and realized actually it's also talking about the good old days of the Exodus and not simply that devastating time of exile in Babylon. So why would God be telling them to forget something as good, as awesome as the Exodus? Well, looking again at the passage in context, clearly God was not asking them to erase such powerful memories from their thinking or their hearts and that these great moments like the Exodus were meant to inspire them continuously and elsewhere the Bible both commends and commands us to remember such things. But here's what was going on. God was warning them not to get so nostalgic about what happened back then that they ended up missing what God was wanting to do in their own day. You know, sometimes we can get so shackled to a past method about the way God met us back then. And that prohibits us from discerning the way God wants to move and the way God wants to use us in the present day. What an amazing legacy of faith there is in this church. I myself am a product of that. But to this generation 
of believers at Kensington Temple, to the leaders and to the members, I want to say to you, I believe that God is giving you a new wineskin to receive the new wine that he wants to pour out today in your midst. New wine for mission and ministry. The question is, will you receive it? And so today I invite you to join me and to see with the eyes of faith what God is wanting to do now, next month, next year, and indeed over the next 10 years. When Jesus turned water into wine at Cana in Galilee, they said to him, most people serve the good wine first, but you're serving it last. Could it be that the future of this great church is even more glorious than the past? Might it be that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former? Well, I pray that it is. I pray that it is. Why? Because there's a city to be reached and a nation still to be impacted. Every church in every generation, at one point or another, comes to a crossroads at which it needs to decide whether or not it will cross over, whether or not it will enter in to God's destiny for them. And I would like to suggest to you that I believe you're right now at that pivot point, that transition point. In fact, right now at this time for this generation, of believers at Kensington Temple. This is the word that the Lord has put on my heart. I believe you're at that moment, that defining moment, where you must choose whether or not you are going to cross over into what God has promised and into what God has said is possible, into the very things that I believe that for such a time as this, God has brought Pastor Mark and Kathy here to spearhead, to release, and to lead you into what will you decide? You know, there is so much potential on this house. It was said earlier, but there's no place like this place. And there's no people like this people. There's something of the spirit of God here, which is so special. There's potential on every individual here too. And yet it's not automatic. We need to cooperate with God. Cooperate with him in relation to all that he has said is possible. Let me unpack this a bit. In the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14, we read about how a generation of God's people didn't cooperate and how they chose wrong, how they missed their moment. And for that generation at least, they missed their moment forever. You see, the people of Israel, they were at a place called Kadesh Barnea, and 12 spies were sent out to survey the promised lands for 40 days. And then they came back with a report. This was Israel's moment. They were at this exciting crossroad on the brink of their destiny, on the cusp of entering into the promises of God. God had given them a promise. I will give you this land, he said. But crucially, he invited their partnership, their cooperation in bringing about the realization of the promise. And this is where it all started to go wrong because only Joshua and Caleb looked at the promise with the eyes of faith and it was only them that could see that God was giving them the victory over all of these giants that loomed large in the land. Yeah. Ten of the spies, they came back with a negative reports and the people believed the bad reports. That report didn't come from God, it came from somewhere else. But the people believed it and they refused to cross over and they failed to possess 
the promised land. It's a sad story because they ended up rebelling against God. And apart from Joshua and Caleb, that whole generation, even though they were on the threshold of the promise, and even though God had said that it was possible, they missed their moment forever. What a tragedy. Think about it. A whole generation of God's people who were delivered from slavery in Egypt. They had this fantastic encounter with God and yet they missed their moment and they consequently failed to enter into the fullness of their inheritance all because they chose wrong and because they failed to make the decision to cross over. Friends, this is a picture of many Christians who, though delivered from slavery to sin, we don't live out our true purposes or our true potential or what God says is really possible for us after that initial salvation event. It's also a picture of many churches too who because of fear, procrastination, sin, prayerlessness, resistance to change, unbelief or a whole host of other things fail to ever be what they really could be. They fail to enter into God's best. Now Moses' generation is a negative example of a generation who though they experienced some good stuff, some amazing things in many respects, ultimately they missed their moments and they stayed in the wilderness. But today I want to give you a positive example about a generation of God's people who did indeed cross over into the promised land. And I want to inspire you to be that generation that says, we will indeed cross over into all that God has said is possible. Let's go to Joshua chapter 3. Now, some things have changed since the story in Numbers. It's a new generation of people, the so-called Joshua generation. There's been a transition of leadership From Moses to Joshua, a new leader with a new personality, a new style, a new method. But one thing hasn't changed. The mission to get to and to occupy the promised lands. And this new generation, now again, they're on the brink of that promised land. But in order to get there, they've got to face this seemingly insurmountable barrier, the Jordan River. Let's read from Joshua chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people So they took it up and went ahead of them. Now just for the sake of time today, we're going to fast forward to verse 15. So let's read. And it says, Now the Jordan is at flood stage, all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark 
reached the Jordan, and their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry grounds. What an amazing miracle. And today from Joshua chapter 3, I want to bring to you three marks of a generation that crosses over. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are the three essential things that I especially believe that the Lord is wanting to highlight to Kensington Temple at this season that you may cultivate so that you may cross over into the destiny that God has marked out for you at this present point in time. And the first mark of such a generation is that they carry God's presence. Turn to somebody and say, carry God's presence. Now Joshua chapter 3 explicitly mentions the Ark of the Covenant nine times. Nine times. This shows how important the Ark is. Suffice it to say that the Ark represented the presence of God with his people. Back in that day, in fact, it was a visible symbol of God being with his people. Now, in our text, we read that the people are commanded to stay the equivalent of about 1,000 yards away from the ark. And on one level, of course, that is a reminder of the holiness of God. But I was thinking about it, and actually, I think there was a very practical reason too. Remember, they're walking together, marching together. And I believe that the practical reason was to enable the people to physically see the ark and to follow it. You know, all too often, like little children, we can run on ahead. I often find myself saying to my two little girls, um, Ariella, who's age five, and Afia, who's age four, I say, hold on, girls. Don't go ahead of daddy. Come back. Wait. And God wants us to look to him and to follow his leading, not to run on ahead of him. And so the positioning of the ark meant that God was out in front of them, that they were going into the Jordan with God and following God, that God was the one leading them into the promised land of Canaan. You see, it would have been really easy for them to put their focus on the furious floodwaters of the Jordan River. But Joshua literally put the ark in front of the people. And he was saying, this must be your focus. And you know what? All good leaders, they will say, put your eyes on Jesus. And that's what Joshua did. Put your eyes on the presence of God. And the point is that the people were being called to focus on God, to fix their eyes on his presence and to follow him. I don't need to be a prophet to know that there'll be some people here who are going through some tough times right now. Can I say to you from the word of God, don't look at the floodwaters of the Jordan. Take your eyes off the adverse and difficult circumstances and put your eyes on the ark. Fix your focus on Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth. And when you can't see your way clear, when it looks like there are insurmountable barriers before you, when it seems like the floodwaters are overwhelming you, keep on looking at the ark. 
Now, the reason given in the Bible for the people keeping their eyes on the ark was because they had not been this way before. And certainly when we consider the post-COVID church in the United Kingdom, when we contemplate the fact that there is war once again on mainland Europe for the first time in 70 years, when we think about the global economic meltdown, when we consider the crisis of gender and sexual identity and all of the challenges with mental health and such like, it can feel as if we are still navigating the same uncharted territory that we entered into during the pandemic. Indeed, when we look at the state of society, when we observe the cultural shifts that are taking place, when we consider the marginalization of Christians, the rejection of long-held, deeply-held Judeo-Christian values, it can feel as if we're facing an impossible task, that the Jordan has risen to flood stage, as it were, and the raging river can seem frightening, insurmountable, imposing, and even impassable. But even when it seems like the enemy has come in like a flood, we must never forget that these things don't face God, and that's why we need to have our eyes on the ark, put our eyes on him. And as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we do well to also remember this, that God never asks us to go anywhere without going before us. When God calls us to move forward into the seemingly unknown, we need not fear because he's already there. Just like he was there in the middle of the Jordan, he is already there. So uncharted territory, yes, but God's presence goes before us. New challenges, yes, but the same God and the same God who brought us through back then will be the same God who takes us through now and also in our future because he is our constant. But you know, we can point to and lament the state of this nation. And for sure, there are consequences when people remove God from public life and morality. But respectfully, can I say to you and also to me, to the church at large in the UK, I think that one reason why today people aren't so interested in church and Christianity is because by and large we don't carry enough of God's authentic presence in our lives. Just think about it. These priests, they were literally carrying the Ark of the Covenant. We need to carry the presence of God wherever we go. You know, the presence of God ought to be such a tangible part of who we are that people will notice something different. When we go to work this time tomorrow, they'll notice something different. Or when we're at home and alongside our neighbors, they'll notice something different and they'll want that something too. I believe that before Jesus comes back for his church, he wants to come back in his church with his presence, with his purity, and with his power. In fact, revival involves a divine manifestation of God's presence divine visitation, God showing up both within and upon his people, awakening in them a new passion for him and also for his kingdom cause, something that leads inevitably to the salvation of women and men and also the transformation of society. Why? Because others can't help but feel the effects of when God's people carry his presence 
God's people carrying the presence of God wherever they go. Christians exuding the fragrance of his presence in every sphere of society, at home, at leisure, and in the marketplace too. So let's seek to be led by God's presence. Let's cultivate spiritual disciplines from prayer to Bible engagement to worship that allows us to pursue the presence of God that we may carry the presence of God. Katie, I believe that God is inviting you into fresh and deep moments of encounter and intimacy that you may be carriers and conduits of God's presence, that you may enter into a greater weight of his presence so that God's glory may be made more visible, manifest, and tangible in the here and now. So determine to carry God's presence. The second mark of a generation that crosses over is that they are consecrated to the Lord. Turn to somebody else and say consecrated. Consecrated. On the eve of what was to be one of the greatest days in their history, God commanded the people to consecrate themselves. Now to consecrate means to set apart as holy or to be set apart for God's use. And the idea here is complete devotion to God, an unbiased heart. Now, throughout their history, one of the main reasons why the people of Israel found their way blocked, why they didn't enter into God's destiny for them, and one of the main reasons, by the way, that we can sometimes find our way blocked is sin or a lack of consecration. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 talks about how sin causes God to hide his face from us. And here in Joshua 3, God was asking the people to examine their lives to confess and forsake their sins, to commit themselves totally to him. And the reason given for this command to consecration is that tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. You see, Joshua knew that a lack of consecration can so often be the reason why we don't see the amazing things from the Lord. We can look around the Western church today, much of it. There are many exceptions. But we can look around and we can say powerless. Well, part of the reason for that, at least, is a lack of consecration. Consecration comes before the blessing. It's not the other way around. Only a consecrated people, a totally devoted people, can enter into, can be entrusted to enter into and take possession of the promise And so until they consecrated themselves, they were not ready for the miracle. They were not ready to be able to be entrusted with the amazing things. God needed to do a work in them before he did a work through them. And I believe that God wants to do a work in you because he's got so much to do through you. Now, God's part was clear. It's clear as day there. He was going to do amazing things. But no, this promise was contingent on the people's willingness to consecrate themselves in the present day. And Joshua was saying to the people, if you want God to show his mighty power on your behalf, then you need to get into alignment with him. I know that there are dreams in this house. God-given dreams to impact this city and to impact this world, well then would you hear the word of the Lord, consecrate yourself and get into alignments. Katie, I believe that God wants to do amazing things. 
signs, wonders, and miracles. That's not just your history. It's your present and it's your future. Get ready for that. A manifestation of something of heaven. And we're believing even that the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. But it requires consecration. And so we need to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our sins to be a consecrated people, the kind of people that God can put his spirit upon, the kind of people that God says, I can trust them and use them to see my kingdom come to earth today in revival power. You know, there's no formula or recipe for revival, but certainly in every genuine revival in history and even up to the present day, you don't have to Search too far to find sacrificial prayer and fasting, unrelenting surrender, a desperate hunger for, and a passionate pursuit of the presence of God. You don't find half-hearted commitments. What you find is consecration. And Katie, I want to tell you, the revival that we dream of and long for out there in the nation begins with a revival in here in the church. And the revival in here in the church begins with a revival in here inside the heart of every single believer. Revival begins with us. And so let's remove every reason for God not to use us. Let's get ready in our today so that God will do amazing things amongst us tomorrow. Let's deal with any obstacles to loving God, hearing God, and obeying God. Let's remove every known sin and every unnecessary weight that is holding us back and let's listen to God's word and let's determine to fully obey it. Consecration means being utterly sold out for Jesus, committing ourselves our time, our energy, our money, our very lives to what God is doing and to loving what he loves, to being set apart. That's what it means to be consecrated. The third mark of a generation that crosses over is they choose faith and obedience. Turn to one person and say faith, and then to another person and say obedience. Faith and obedience. Let's go back to the start of the scene. There at Joshua chapter 3, you have the people of Israel. They need to cross from this side of the Jordan to the other side, to the land of promise. But there's this one problem, the Jordan River. And not just the Jordan River. It's the Jordan River during flood season. You see, with no bridge or boats crossing any river, at the best of times, for that amount of people would have been challenging. But this is flood season. And the Jordan, which would have usually been fairly calm, I guess, in flood season, it would have been raging. In other words, there was no possible human way for them to be able to get across to the western side of the river. I'm sure the people started to wonder, how are we going to get across? We've heard Joshua say this, but how are we going to get across? And here God steps in and he says, I'm going to do a miracle, but. Do you remember that big but? I'm going to do a miracle, but first I want you to step into the water. God was literally asking them to take a step of faith. Before. Everybody say the word before. Before he would deliver them. You know, there was no visible evidence that the waters would part. All that they had 
was a word from God that came through Joshua, their leader. And only as the priests stepped into that rushing current in faith and obedience did those waters pile up so that the people were able to cross over on dry ground. Think about it. What would have happened if those priests didn't step into the water? If they allowed fear to overtake? No one would have crossed over that day. You know, there are times where we just got to put our feet into the rushing waters if we are to enter the promises of God. Clearly, a miracle was required if they were to enter the promised land. But so too was a faith-filled and obedient people who were willing to move toward the miracle. Make no mistake about it. We can't do it without God. But here's also the thing we need to remember. God won't do it without us. We do our part, and God will do his part. We do all that we can do, and then we leave it up to God to do what only he can do. Katie, I believe that there are miracles waiting for you in the Jordan, but God is asking you to take a step of faith first. Will you trust God enough to stand in the waters? And I believe that Katie, right now, at this present point, in the story of God for this great church, that you are at an edge of the Jordan moment. That miracles, some outbreaking of the kingdom of God awaits. But this time, God is not going to do the miracle first. He's inviting you to step in first. So yes, our eyes need to be on Jesus so that we may carry his presence. Yes, our hearts need to be consecrated before him. But unless we move our feet forward in faith to where God has called us to go, nothing will happen. The rivers will keep raging and we will remain stuck on the wrong side of God's promises. But know that when we give God, it was just a simple step, one step. When we give God something to work with, when we obey his word, he will meet us in the river and he will lead us forwards. I wonder how many times God doesn't release something into our lives that he's promised because he is simply waiting for us to take the first step of faith, the step of faith that he told us to take right at the very beginning. I wonder how many times churches have missed their moments because they've chosen to stay comfortable on this side of the Jordan because they've not trusted God enough to stand in the water. Oh, please hear me on this. I say this to myself, but none of us here, none of us watching online, none of us downstairs in the overflow, none of us will enter into the fullest expression of our destiny if we are not willing to get our feet wet, if we're not willing to take this step of faith. Specifically, for Kensington Temple at this time, can I say something to you as a son of the house? I believe this means going all in and all out for the vision that God is laying before you. Just as Joshua laid out a vision and a strategy for the people of Israel to cross over, I believe that God has brought Pastor Mark and Kathy to this house for such a time as this to lead you into the season ahead. But it requires each of you to make the choice, to decide, to respond with faith and with obedience. You see, we can stand at the edge all we want we can even be hoping and praying on the edge 
saying, God, do something, believing for the flood waters to subside. But God is saying, first, step in. One step, and God acted. The waters stopped flowing. The dry ground appeared, and the people were able to cross over. There will be no miracle until you move. But get your feet wet and watch what the Lord will do. You see, all this here, what I'm talking to you about, it's your choice. If the people had stood there simply listening to God's word without taking a step of faith, nothing would have happened that day or for any other day that, for that matter. Faith requires action. Katie, I believe that God has permissioned you to cross over. But note my use of the word permissioned. In fact, just turn to somebody. It will help us remember it and say permissioned. Permissioned. God has permissioned you to cross over. Now, I'm saying permissions to highlight that this doesn't mean that these things are automatically going to happen. To permission is to grant or to allow something to happen, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that it will happen. You see, just as it is possible for an individual to miss God's destiny for their life because of wrong choices, I think it's also possible for a church, a local church, to miss God's destiny for them too when they don't act on what God has said. Just think about it. If the people didn't follow Joshua's instructions here, they too would have missed it, just like Moses' generation. Many Christians wrongly assume that since God is all-powerful and sovereign, and indeed he is, but they assume that because he is all-powerful and sovereign, that his will automatically happens all of the time. That whatever happens in our lives or in our churches must be his will. And so because of this, they end up taking a passive stand on the will of God. And so they say something like this. Well, if God wants us to cross over, I guess we will at some point. But they forget that the part they have to play is actually quite strong. Because that type of passive stand, that type of thinking diminishes and negates our responsibility almost entirely. It's a theological paradox, but it's true. God is sovereign in all things, and yet that doesn't remove human responsibility and human choice. And what we can often fail to understand is that we need to choose God's will. And this is what God is laying before you right now. God's will is done perfectly in heaven, and he wants it to be done perfectly in your life and in every local church too. But he won't force his will upon you just like he didn't force it upon Moses' generation. So once God has permissioned something, we need to want it, then we need to pray it down, and then we need to act on those prayers. What does this mean? God has permissioned something for you, church. God has a destiny for this church. I really believe that the future can be more glorious than the past. Oh, I know the stories. I know the stories of the visitations from heaven. I know the stories of, of this city being impacted and nations of the world also being touched by what has come out of this house. But I want to say this to you. Knowing those stories, I believe your future can be greater still. But in so many ways, that destiny is your choice. God has permissioned it, but you have a part to play in choosing revival. You have a part to play in choosing all of this. In fact, revival depends upon you a lot more than you may think. There is so much potential on this house 
for the days that lie ahead. I believe that God has gifted you with leaders and with strategy for such a time as this. So much potential. But here's the thing. Would you hear this? God is not obligated to fulfill our potential. We need to choose his will too. Now for sure, we can't do God's part. Only God can revive. Only God can transform our city and our nation. But here's the thing too. God won't do our part either. Only we can choose to obey. Vision has been cast. Vision is being cast. Prophetic words have been spoken about the great possibilities that lie ahead for this church. But as my wife Catherine sometimes says to our church in Cardiff, prophetic words, they're not a sofa to sit on, but they're a spade to dig with. Get hold of that spade and start to dig. There is an apostolic mandate upon this church for London and the nations. And praise God for what we have seen in times past, for faithful generations who have worked and who have prayed. There is a wonderful, rich heritage here, but it's not finished yet. You've not yet reached your destinations. There are prophetic words still to be fulfilled. There are wells still to be dug, mountains still to conquer. So get hold of the promises of God and start climbing, church. Now notice the amazing results. What happens when we choose God's will. Verse 17 describes it. It says that because the priest stepped into the water, the entire nation, the entire nation crossed over on dry ground. You know what happens here and amongst you can impact the nation? You may say, well, it was just the priests who had to step into the water. Well, put your New Testament lens on. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. It says that we were all priests. And so as a priesthood, of believers, we are the ones called to go on ahead of our nation, to make a crossing for them, to make clear the way of the Lord for them. And as we, a priesthood of believers, step into the water, we don't just cross over for ourselves, we are making a crossing for the people of London and beyond. We are making a way where currently there is no way that they may cross over from despair into hope, from disappointment into destiny, from death into life. I also want you to notice this. Verse 15 says that the Jordan is always at flood stage during harvest time. Let's not miss this. And I sense the spirit of God saying it's harvest time. And yet the Jordan is at flood stage. I find it really interesting that God calls his people to cross over the Jordan at the time when precisely it's at its most dangerous and impossible. Almost impossible to cross over, and yet that's the time God calls them to, to cross. Look at the headlines, even from this last week, the 2021 national census results. People have written off the church in the United Kingdom. They talked about the end of Christianity. Certainly it feels like that Jordan River is raging and at flood stage. But can I tell you something? The spirit-filled, Bible-believing, Jesus-centered church still is the hope of the world. So let us not be deterred. And let us determine to cross over. Here's the thing. The obstacles are always bigger 
at harvest time. Church, would you hear this? It's harvest time, but the obstacles are always bigger. In fact, the barriers sometimes appear precisely because we are on the brink of the promise. And so don't look at these as obstacles. Think of them as opportunities for God to show himself strong on our behalf, on your behalf. Just look at church history. We can think about what's happening in society and we say, oh gosh, this nation is so far from God. Just look at church history and you will see that revival is so often preceded by times of cultural disruption. Just like what we're experiencing now. God's looking for a church that will faithfully answer his call. I've come here to tell you, Kensington Temple, it's harvest time. The harvest is plentiful. Where are the workers? Where are the workers? I'm looking at them right now. Choose to faithfully answer that call. At some point in every generation, every church comes to a crossroads at which it must decide whether or not it will cross over. Kensington Temple, this is your Kadesh Barnea moment, just as it was for Moses' generation. Kensington Temple, this is your edge of the Jordan moment, just as it was for Joshua's generation. Put your eyes on Jesus. Pursue his presence that you may carry his presence. Commit to him with wholehearted surrender and consecration and with faith and obedience, boldly cross over into the next chapter of God's story for this great church. Katie, it's time to cross over. Thank you.